Amen. That, looking at the choir a while ago, that's almost longer than most of you have been alive. Praise God. And uh, 30 years in one place. One time we were at a wedding, I'm sorry, not a wedding anniversary, an anniversary service. I guess it is a wedding anniversary. Somebody had been married for 50 years. And uh, <clears throat> thank you very much, brother. And I don't remember who made the statement, but somebody said, man, that is a long time for one woman to put up with one man. <laughs> and he said, let me tell you, that's a long time for one man to put up with one woman. In 30 years, you kind of get to know one another. 30 years, there's not a lot of surprises left in life. And uh, most folks who've been preaching the same doctrine for 30 years are not going to change their doctrines. Most folks have been living for God for 30 years. Most folks are not going to quit living for God. They're just going to keep right on living for God. Most people that have been pastoring trying to get folks to heaven for 30 years are not about to change their method in trying to get them there, praise God. Amen. We have some folks here from Six Mile tonight. These are the most precious people to me on the face of this earth. And if God will help me and give me grace and give me wisdom and give me compassion and give me mercy and give me what I need to, I'm going to get they and their families to heaven, praise God. And I'm going to go there with them. I'm sure that this man feels the same way about this congregation and all these other pastors feel the same way about their congregation. Amen. Somewhere along the line, we're just going to have to get it in our mind that we're not in this thing just to be part of, part of some group. We're in this thing to get to heaven. I, I, I hope that's what you've got in your mind. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to go to heaven. I want my wife to go to heaven. I want my children to go to heaven. I want the church at Six Mile to go to heaven. I have questions about some of them. But some of them probably go question me. I don't know it. Amen. Stand with me tonight if you would. Brother Harrington, thank you for the honor. And I give you special honor, you and your precious wife tonight. And uh, Brother Roger Harrington, God bless you. I remember when Brother Roger Harrington was not much bigger than my little girl Abigail is right now. I mean just a mere puppy. I never dreamed he grew up to be as mean as he has. It's good to have my wife and my baby daughter with me tonight. My other two girls, both are, one's going to school and one of them just got off of work just a little while ago and has to be back at work early in the morning, wouldn't have time to get here for church. And uh, I regret that they're not able to be with me. But Sarah called just before we pulled into the church. In fact, we were coming out, I guess, a little ways down the road. And she said, tell Daddy I'm praying for him. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't teach your kids anything else, if you don't teach them anything else, you need to teach your kids the importance of prayer. And they need to understand it's not just something they do to kill time. They've got to believe God is hearing me when I talk to him. Amen. Hallelujah. We're reading tonight from the prophecy, the Old Testament prophecy of Daniel. I invite your attention to the sixth chapter this evening. If you would turn there, we have kind of a lengthy reading tonight. 
but I'll try not to tarry in the reading and, and, and I'll do my preaching when I get through if I, if I possibly can. Daniel chapter number 6. And I do believe that God has something to say to us this evening. Uh, I want to say what an honor it is to have each and every one of our pastors here tonight. These are all great men of God. Every one of them could do a much better job than what I'm going to do up here tonight. But I am delighted to be able to be with them in fellowship as we celebrate with your pastor and his wife. And, of course, enjoy the beginning of this great meeting. I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. Unfortunately, we won't be here Sunday afternoon. And your preacher Sunday afternoon has got his little wagon full because he's preaching for you at 2 and he's preaching for me at 6. I said, now, Doc, don't speed coming from Burr Ferry to 6 Mile if you're a little late. That's okay. I said, we're going to go ahead and start and have church. I said, but you, you don't speed. He said, I'm coming in my motorhome. I won't be speeding. Amen. We have had the privilege of having Brother and Sister Walker and their, their, their beautiful children with us the past several weeks now. We've been, been several weeks we've had them with us. I'm telling you, that young man is a preaching machine now. I hope when I grow up I can preach like him. He was preaching away the other night and was talking about how it takes two hours to style your hair. I said, not me. And he said, no, you just use mop and glow. What a sad thing to say to a bald-headed old man. Daniel chapter 6 tonight. It's a pleasure to be with each of you from Burr Ferry also. God bless you. And... Um, I hope that the Lord says something to all of us. All of our church folks who are here from various churches, we're, we're delighted that you are with us this evening. Book of Daniel, chapter number 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Was quite a guy. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus, Unto him, King Darius, live forever all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it may be, excuse me, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Now, you have no idea how close I came to just preaching that as a different thought tonight. But I'm telling you, as God is my witness, the Lord has spoken to me to preach something else to us here in, in Burr Ferry this evening. Now, let me find my scripture. Verse number 9, Wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew... If the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. This wasn't something he started when he heard the decree. 
This is something he was doing when the decree was issued. Amen. Everybody understands that. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any God or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king that, da that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh this petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And the stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signal, excuse me, signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel, the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. I want to preach tonight from just a simple thought, and I, I, I believe that God has something to say to us here tonight. This is the thought that I would like to share with you this evening. When Satan shows his hand. When Satan shows his hand. Pastor, would you pray and ask God to help us tonight? And everyone say, in Jesus' name, turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, and say, I'm so glad that you're in God's kingdom and you may be seated tonight. If you turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, you'll find the events that lead up to what we read from the sixth chapter of the prophecy of Daniel. They are the, the uh, of course, the prophecy of Daniel is not in chronological order in your Bible. It's not in mine either. And uh, when, you, when you begin to read in the ninth chapter of the prophecy of Daniel, you find that Daniel was reading in the prophecy of Jeremiah. And uh, he read where Jeremiah said that 70 years had to be accomplished upon the land of Judah and Jerusalem because they did not keep the Sabbaths of the Lord. God took them out of the land and gave the land rest himself. And, uh, of course, as he began to add up the years from the time that he had come from Jerusalem to Babylon and then began to add everything together, Daniel realized that 70 years had, had transpired. The time of 70 years was past. And so Daniel began to do what a man of prayer will do. He began to call upon the name of the Lord and began to pray for God to 
restore Israel to, to the, the country of Jerusalem or the city of Jerusalem and the area of, of Judah, if you will. Now, I don't know. I don't know a lot. This is going to sound crazy. I guess it's not good to start a sermon telling you I don't know something that I'm about to preach about. Now, I know some things about the devil. Your pastor told us that he is the father of lies, and uh, we know that he is a liar and the truth is not in him. We also know that he has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. There are some things about the devil that most folks don't give a lot of understanding to. The Bible says that he is held in chains of darkness reserved unto judgment or against the day of judgment. You see, if the devil even tried to do something good, he couldn't do it. If the devil even tried to do something that was merciful, it would not be within God's allowance to him to do that. God has the devil exactly where he wants him, and he uses the devil exactly the way he wants the devil to be used. You see, you and I go through experiences in our lives that, that we don't understand sometimes. And, and uh, there are some things about the devil that I, I, I'm, I don't really understand. I don't really know about him. I know one thing. He's not omniscient. He is not a God. And so he doesn't know everything like God knows everything. But I wonder sometimes, you've noticed it and I've noticed it, when God begins to move in our midst, in our churches, and uh, things begin to take place, revival starts happening, or perhaps you get a deep consecrated move toward God, it seems like that all of a sudden an extra measure of attack comes against us from the adversary. And uh, I don't think the devil, I don't think the devil can read God's mind. And I don't think he has access to the throne of God anymore either. I believe those days are over with. But I'm going to tell you this tonight. I believe that when you and I begin to respond a certain way to God, the devil automatically sees the clues. And when he sees you and myself beginning to heat up our altar just a little bit, when he sees that you and myself begin to give a little extra in our worship and in our rejoicing, the devil knows that we're experiencing something with God that could be a threat to his work. Amen. He, he hears us when we pray. God gives us a vision or a dream and we begin to pray. Don't think the devil doesn't have access to your prayer closet. Of course he has access to your prayer closet. He hears what you're praying about what you believe God's about to do in your life. And before we realize what's happening, it seems like all of a sudden the floodgates of hell have opened. And it seems like an, a relentless uh, a stream of, of attack just comes against us. A bombardment, if you will, right straight out of hell. You know, we're just all human beings, and we're all made out of the same stuff. When he attacks us relentlessly, it's designed to distract us from what God is trying to move us into. Or it's designed to, if you will, it's to intimidate us with fear, to cause us not to move into the place God wants us to move into. It's to cause us to have doubt so that we begin to, well, maybe it was just a dream that I had. Or, you know, it could have just been an idea that came into my mind. Maybe God's really not about to give us revival after all. Maybe it was just a fanciful idea that I had and it was just nothing to it from God after all. Now, I don't know all the, the weapons of the devil, but I know a lot of the weapons of the devil. And I'm going to tell you something about the adversary. He is skilled in using the lies and the deceit 
but of the weapons that he has. You and I have more power with God than the devil ever has power to counter. But we've never learned to use what God has given us the way God wants us to use it with the faith and the confidence and the trust and the lack of insecurity that God wants us to have. And the devil knows that. And so he brings out his little pistol of fear or doubt or unbelief or skepticism. And before we realize it, he's killed a dream that's like an atom bomb in the hands of God. God's ready to have revival. God's ready to use his people. And the devil brings his little weapons out and starts firing away. If you and I could learn to be just a little more discerning, if you and I could learn to recognize just a little bit more what the devil is up to, I'm telling you, we'd walk out of this place different than we came in here tonight. And we'd be a different church than we were when we came to church this evening. Oh, my God. I'm going to tell you what we need to start paying attention to. One man made the statement. He said, there, he said, the greatest lesson I ever learned in my life was to pay attention. I'm going to tell you something about the devil. He cannot cause you to be lost. He cannot cause you to be anything that God doesn't let him do. The devil has no power over God's people. That God, God is using him to perfect his people's faith. I'm here to tell you, he cannot destroy you out of God's hand. He cannot. He cannot. He wants you to think he can. And some of the skeptics here tonight are saying, you don't know what you're talking about, preacher. I know exactly what I'm talking about tonight. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Your Bible tells you greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Now listen to me carefully tonight. What we need to understand, we can catch the devil showing his hand if we'll just begin to realize that when God starts moving, the devil's going to start moving. You can bank on it. You can take it to the bank. And what we've got to understand is he will show up. He will do his job. But I'm here to tell you if we will not let him distract us, and if we will not let him intimidate us, and if we will not let him cause us to doubt. Brother Walker and I have been playing with a little scripture here in the book of 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. The apostle Paul said, but I will tarry at Ephesus. Amen. He said, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. I was looking at this scripture. The words, there are many adversaries. The words, there are, are in italics. They're not in the original text. They're in interpolation. They're given for clarity of thought in the text. You know that and understand how that works. And what Paul is saying is this, for a great door and effectual is opened to me, and many adversaries. Now, you listen to me. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. There is a revival at Ephesus. 
He said, I haven't prayed the first person through yet. I haven't had the first convert yet. But I have been accosted by one of the biggest spiritual adversaries and a group of the biggest spiritual adversaries that I've ever been accosted by in my life. And just because they don't want me here, that tells me there's something here. There's a gold mine for God in this city. There's something here for God in this place. I'm here to tell you when you get up in the morning and the devil's in your face, you ought to throw your hands in the air and say, yes, God, there's a blessing for me today. Some of y'all not hearing what's going on in this place tonight. I'm telling you, you can walk out of this church house tonight a completely different saint than you came here. My, 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 you can be seated for just a few moments. There's three important elements in this little scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. There's a praying man of God. There's an effective or an effectual, excuse me, open door of ministry. And, of course, there's many adversaries. Praying man, open door, and an adversary. Paul said, I know the door is open because an adversary showed up in it. I know there's a revival here because there's many adversaries. I know there's something special to God here because there's something special to the devil here. Now listen to what I'm telling you because some of you have got it in your mind. There's people that God has been trying to tell you and trying to connect your life with to witness to them and tell them about Jesus. But the devil keeps telling you they'll never be saved. They don't want to serve God. Those are some of the worst people that there are in this community. You don't want them in your church. What's people going to think about? You're going to ruin the reputation of your church if they come to your church. I want to tell you tonight, if the devil wants them that bad, you ought to want them just as bad. drug head that beats his wife and slaps his kids around won't work sorry lazy low down scumball you don't know what he's gonna be when Jesus gets in his life oh they don't want the Holy Ghost brother Robertson they know what we believe if they want it, they know where to come to get it. Let me tell you, they don't have a clue what you, but some of you don't even know what you believe. Pardon me. They don't know what you believe. And we don't need to take it for granted and just assume that they do. Let me tell you about a praying man. Daniel was a praying man. He was a man of God, a prophet of God. He was a praying man. When we're first introduced to him in the scriptures, he's having an all-night prayer meeting with three other of those Jewish boys because they don't want to eat the king's meat. They don't want to eat the stuff that's been offered to idols. And they're praying, asking God for help. This man prays his whole long, illustrious, adventurous life. He prays, 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 prays. Praise. Now I'm sure he got up some morning and the devil was there. You know, it caused him a little bit of problems here, a little confusion there. Chariot probably had a flat tire on the way to the palace. Cat maybe stepped under his foot on the way out the door and tripped him and he fell and got his garment dirty. You his hair may not have combed right that day. (laughs) 
just like you and just like me. He got up some morning and feeling bad probably. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there weren't days that Daniel's attitude probably had a little. Not Daniel. Probably. But what we're noticing in the life of Daniel when you read through the prophecy of Daniel is he was a man who prayed. He's a man who believed in going to God. When he read about Jeremiah's prophecy about the 70 weeks, the scripture said that he began to pray and confess his sins and the sins of the people of Israel. He didn't go before God in a high-handed manner and say, all right, God, I counted them off. 70 years is over. When we go at home, God, he got down and began to repent. He read that the time had come. It's time to go back to Jerusalem. Let's do some repenting. Let's do some confessing. Let's do some getting right with God. Let's make sure in a right standing with our God. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to tell you something, this little high-handed attitude that a lot of people have got in church today. I heard one guy talking about, God, you're going to have to do such and such. And God, you better do such and such because you're worried. I'm telling you something. God does not like that. He is not blessed by that. He does not enjoy it. That's not the way your kids talk to you. And that's not the way God's kids talk to him. He began to confess. God sent him an angel, a guy by the name of Gabriel, coming there and explain the whole situation to him. And not only told him about what was going to happen, and Israel was coming back, but what was going to happen in the last days. My Lord, have mercy. What an awesome God. What an awesome thing. Daniel prayed. He prayed. He was a praying man. He never, he never incurred the full wrath of hell until he read that prophecy. And then he got down three times a day and began to pray for revival and restoration. Now, I don't know what all he prayed about during the years before, but Daniel's not a young man. But he's getting down three times a day. And the Bible tells us what he's praying for. He's praying for revival. He's praying for repentance. He's praying for restitution at Jerusalem. Bring your people back to that place, God. You told us we would come back there. The time has elapsed, Lord. We repented of our sins. We've served you in this place. God, bring us back to the place we belong. Three times a day. I'm telling you something. When he started praying for revival and he started praying the word of God, he got hell stirred up like he never got hell stirred up before my lord Dan, you gonna have to quit praying like that son now he was fully aware that the presidents and the princes were plotting against him because when he heard about their plotting the scripture said that just like he always had before Daniel went three times a day opened his shutter toward Jerusalem and prayed for revival repentance and restoration I'm going to tell you all something. I want you to listen to me. You've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Everybody that's lived for God in length of time has seen it happen. You get a good move of God started in your church, and the next thing you're going to have is a good move of the devil. He's going to come in somehow and try to stir this family up against that family. Or this kid over here is going to punch his family over here's kid in the nose, and, and you're going to have families in your office fussing one another. This one's wanting to leave and go to church somewhere else, and you're trying to hold all that together. Or you've got some lady that makes a pass at somebody's husband. Or some something going on in the church. And this is all because revival's about to break out. And everybody's saying, my God, the devil's really at you. better believe the devil's after you. But can I tell you, he's showing his hand to you. He's trying to show you you can. And God's trying to tell us you can. 
My, my, my. Sit down just a minute. We need an effectual open door of ministry, don't we? Don't you want to reach the folks around here? All these precious people in this community. You know, I think a lot of times about all these, all these folks around the church house. I thank God, you know, if we could just somehow, if we could somehow have a revival where we could reach them. Because really, it's not you and myself that convinced them to come and serve God. We witness to them and we live a life before them that they can see the blessing of God on. When God opens the door, we testify to them about the Lord. We try to get them to the house of God so the preacher can preach the gospel. And when the preacher preaches the gospel, the power of God and the salvation is released into their life. But let me tell you, it is the Lord that adds to the church. Listen to what I'm telling you. It is the Lord that adds to the church daily such as should be saved. And I'm telling you what I believe is holding back the revival that we would really, really, really. I'm going to tell you what's holding back the revival. Let me say that God would really like to have. It's because we're listening to the wrong spiritual voices. And the devil is brazen enough and bold enough to think he's got you figured out. And when a move of God gets started, the devil comes around telling you you can't or stirring this up or stirring that up or messing this up or messing that up and everybody gets the stomach virus and gets sick and can't come. Then folks start having to work late. The boss says you got to work late this week. You can't come to church. Listen, I'm going to tell you what we need to do. We need to quit saying, man, the devil's really, he's, he's really, he's really causing some problems. What we need to do is we need to start saying the devil is just telling us we're fixing to have revival. The devil just showed his hand, praise God. He don't have no aces. He don't have nothing. He lives on a bluff. He has nothing. All territory, if there is such a thing in the, in the spirit world, is either controlled and dominated by the church or dominated by the devil or it's being contested at this very moment. There's not one square centimeter or inch of, of spirit world whatever there is there that's not somehow either under the dominion of the church the dominion of the adversary or we're struggling over it and the church is trying to get dominion of it and the devil's trying to keep us from getting dominion nothing stirs the devil up nothing brings his greatest attack like an individual or a church that becomes dominant in ministry and effective in winning souls I'm telling you when we start going after the lost when we make up our mind I'm not going to go through this week without testifying to somebody about Jesus I'm not going to go through this day without sharing Jesus with somebody. First Samuel 17, verses 34 through 36. I, I won't read them. You know the story. David is in Saul's tent. He's heard the challenge of Goliath. And he says, look, don't you worry about this Philistine, don't you? He said, Saul, y'all don't worry about this guy. Ain't no big deal here. He said, because I was keeping daddy's sheep. Well, I was keeping daddy's sheep. He said, I was playing my songs and sitting under my tree and worshiping God and having a great time. And out came a lion and a bear. He said, and the lion and the bear came out and they got a lamb out of the flock. And they were running off with that lamb. And he said, and I went out there. And he said, I just, I delivered that lamb out of their mouth. That's not where he stops. He said, and when they turned on me, 
He said, then I smote them and killed them. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be just like one of them. Don't you worry about this now. Let me tell you, we can sit under our tree and we can sing our songs and we can praise our praises and we can have good church and the devil's just going to kind of go to us a little every now and then to let us know that he's there. But when you make up your mind, you're going to go start taking lambs out of his mouth. When you make up your mind, you're going to start going and getting some of those lost souls out of his clutches. I'm telling you, he'll turn on you and you're going to find an adversary you never thought you could face. But it's all bluster and it's all bluff. I want to tell you, if a boy with a rock knife can kill a lion and a bear, there wasn't much to him to begin with or either there was a lot to that boy. be taking this scripture a little out of context but Paul said I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me you don't need to be afraid of the devil you need to wait for him to show his hand devil gonna get one here devil gonna get one there as long as we sing our songs, as long as we have our good church, the devil ain't going to bother us too awful much. But when we go start taking him back, when we go start taking him out of his clutches, when we go start getting him, you're not going to have that one. This is a backslider. This is my brother or my sister. They don't belong in hell, and they don't belong to the devil, and I'm not going to let them go there. I'm going to get them back for Jesus. Let me tell you about something that concerns me today. Something that really concerns me. We, we, were, we were at camp meeting at Brother Holmes's last week, an awesome camp meeting. And uh, was it last week or week before? I believe it was last week. And uh, Saturday night, Brother Alviar preached an awesome message. Some of y'all were there, preached an awesome message on, on the great I am, one God. And I, I, I listened to him, and, and I was on my feet almost all the time. But you've got to understand, the Godhead is kind of a candy stick for me. I like it. I never did have a problem having to forget the Trinity to learn oneness. I came right straight out of hell into the church, and the only thing I've ever known is one God. I watched him preach to Christ in the crowd, and he took brother, I forgot what the brother's name was now, Brother Adams, I believe, led him around through the congregation with a prayer shawl over his head. He talked about, you know, how this one had, knew, knew about miracles, and this one, this is the God that created everything, and this one, you know, and this and that and the other, and everybody just watched Christ go through the crowd, and nobody even understood that he was the great I Am. And I listened to him preach that message. I can remember a time, Pastor, when that message would have had everything in that building on its feet. They'd have been shouting, they'd have been running, they'd have been jumping, they'd have been climbing over the pews to get out in the aisle and shout. There was some response, but it was really pretty mediocre. And a lot of other people noticed it also. And it wasn't because of the preaching, because God knows Brother Alviar preached a masterpiece message. But I want you to know what's happening to us. Listen to me carefully, church, because it's happening at Six Mile. It's happening here. It's happening everywhere. If we're not careful, what's going to happen to us is we're going to lapse into denominalism. In fact, we're starting to lapse into denominalism. 
And we're starting to trust our church membership. They, 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 turn, they turn the mic down, didn't they? We're starting to, church, to trust our church membership rather than our relationship. And I'm telling you, God is not coming back after any denomination. It doesn't matter if it's Pentecostal slash apostolic. He's not coming back after a denomination. We're losing our passion for the Word. We're losing our passion for God's presence. We're losing our passion for fellowship the way it's supposed to be. We're losing our passion for prayer. We're losing our passion. Listen to me tonight. It's time that the church of the living God rose up and quit letting the devil lie to us. Sit down just a few minutes. There are more and more of our people are faithful to church. They pay their tithes. They're there every service. They sit in their spot every church service. You can count on them being there. If they're not there, you know they're sick or something's happened. They give in the offering. They'll sing in the choir. But whenever the Holy Ghost begins to move, there's a disconnect somewhere. And it, that, 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 that thing that has to be in that relationship with God all of a sudden is missing. And the fire's not there. And the passion's not there. And the life is not there. That's the reason you can have a move of God. And folks sitting there. Yes. Hallelujah. It has never dawned on Pentecostal folks why the devil don't want us praising and worshiping. It has never dawned on a lot of people sitting in Pentecostal pews why the devil does not want you to get out in that aisle and begin to give God an offering of dancing or leaping or running or something. It has never I'm telling you why. It's because every time you begin to worship God, I'm telling you the Bible said that God is in, in habits. The New International Version says He's enthroned upon the praises of His people. When you begin to praise and worship and rejoice in God's presence, all of a sudden it's like a great big, door to heaven is opened up and the devil's got to look right in at everything he's lost I, I, I sat down here a few weeks ago a couple of months ago and I, I, I started working on a message I thought I had me a good one I was going to preach their safety in the church. Man, I'm telling you, I started in the book of Acts, Brother Phillips, and I started going through my Bible, looking for all the benefits that the church has to offer, all the blessings that the church has to offer. I started looking for all the good stuff that the church has to offer. You know what I found? I didn't find anything. There's love in the church. There's fellowship in the church. There's praise in the church, and there's prayer, somebody to pray for us. But as far as the things that we really need from God, not one of them's in the church. In fact, I went to digging around in my Bible, and I didn't find one place in the King James Version of the Bible that talks about church membership, not one. Now, I found disciple and discipleship over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You say, Brother Robertson, there's no difference. Oh, there's a world of difference. 
Church membership is when you belong to a group of people. Discipleship is when you belong to Jesus. And the problem with too many folks in the church is we're settling for a group of people. And a group of people ain't going to take us nowhere. Listen to what I'm telling you tonight. If you're settling for church membership, you are selling your soul cheap. The best thing you can do is to get up from where you are and say, God, I forgot how to shout, but I'm going to learn how again. I forgot how to worship, but bless God, I'm going to learn how. Let's all clap our hands to Jesus right now. Everybody. You can be seated. More and more today, pastors and ministers are facing these questions. Brother Robertson... If I do such and such, will I go to hell? Or, or will, will I be lost if I have such and such in my life? Or if I, you know, brother so-and-so over there, his church, and they're not quite like us, and, and he's a man of God. You know, they're all going to heaven, and his people get to go do this and that and the other, and they can have this and that, and they can look like this and the other let me just tell you something let me just tell you something before you count anybody as a man of God you better make sure they preach the word of God because I'm telling you something a man of God will preach God's word when you find somebody that's trying to make it easy on the flesh for himself and for his people you've got a man in a church that's in serious trouble and I'm going to tell you something it is contrary to the Bible We're supposed to crucify our flesh, not entertain our flesh. We're supposed to keep under our body, not show off our body. Now I'm going to tell you something. David said, I've made a covenant, excuse me, the psalmist said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. And I'm going to tell you why he said that. Because you look at the wrong things with these right here and you program this gray matter in between these ears right here. And there's a reason why there's so many men and even women in Pentecost today are starting to have such a problem with lust and immorality. It's because they're filling their eyes with junk that God never intended to come into these human bodies. Let me just tell you in case you're in, in the dark tonight, not every pastor preaches against television and not every saint of God doesn't have one in their home. There's ladies that sit around watching the soaps all day long and the pastor wonders why he's got all kinds of divorce in his church. Well, this don't stop right there because the guy comes in when everybody's gone to bed and pulls up the Internet on the computer and he starts watching stuff he shouldn't watch either. (laughs) 
I hear more and more and more pastors that are complaining about men coming into their office with pornography problems and women coming in their pro- into their office wanting to leave their husband because he doesn't treat them the way they think they ought to be treated. I'm going to tell you something. When they let television and they let all that other garbage come into their church, they set themselves up for problems then. It ain't nobody's problem and nobody's fault but the man that stands behind the pulpit and won't take a stand for righteousness. You blame the world all you want to, but the world's always been the world and always going to be the world. They're filthy, they're lost, they're dark, their evil hearts are darkened through unbelief. But I'm here to tell you in the church it ought not to be that way. Y'all be seated just a little bit. I'm not quite through yet. I'll tell you when I get there. Several years ago, a dear friend of mine and I were talking and, and uh, sharing some books that we had read, some good books that we enjoyed. And he said, let me, let me recommend a book to you. He said, it's out of print, but if you can find it, he said, you might enjoy it. And it was, a, it was like a field manual for the United States Marine Corps Sniper Force, Sniper Corps. And uh, I, I got a hold of a copy of it. I gave it to another preacher. I, I don't even really remember who I gave it to. But it's an amazing thing that these gentlemen come off of the streets just as kids. Some of them have never even been in a fight. The Marine Corps takes them, works them out, buffs them up real good. And because they qualify as expert marksmen with a rifle over a distance, the Marine Corps invites them to join this other group. And I think the Army now has snipers and everybody. I think that almost every special operations unit has a marksman with them anymore. But during the Vietnam War, this book was about the Vietnam War and... Uh, it, it talked about the training regimen that these men went through, the how many rounds of, of 308 ammunition, 7.62 NATO's 308 ammunition, that they would fire in a day's time at the, uh, at the sniper range there at Quantico uh, military base, Marine, Marine base. The long range there is 1,000 yards to the last target, 1,000 yards. In the late 1960s and early 1970s, the snipers were using the Winchester Model 70, shot a 308 that was 185 grains. It shot with a four-power unertal scope. That's what they used on that rifle. The average human eye, 20-20 vision, can distinguish a one-inch white circle 100 yards away against a dark background. It can distinguish it enough that a, that, a, that, a, that a person who's not nervous stands a good possibility with open sights of hitting that one-inch circle with an open sight on a rifle at 100 yards. A one-inch circle. If you move that one-inch circle 400 yards, you see the same thing with a four-power scope. You see that same little white spot. But you have the added advantage of a crosshair that you can put on it and you can adjust for elevation. If you move that same little white spot 800 yards, it becomes a half-inch mark. And then if you move it again another 200 yards to 1,000, it's barely distinguishable through a four-power scope. The targets that are set up there are in the silhouette, uh, the profile of a human body looking face on. But this is the tricky part. They're not shooting at the target. They're shooting at the mark. Because in the center of a forehead is a one-inch circle. And just to the left of center in the chest is a one-inch circle. And at 400 yards, they get really, really good, Brother Walker. 
But at 700 yards, it gets to be a challenge. And at 1,000 yards, round after round after round after round after round after round. Until all of a sudden, those boys get to where they're hitting that mark at 1,000 yards when all they can really see is just a white speck. 1,000 yards. 1,000 yards. They will go out on the course before they begin to fire. And on limbs on each side of the course, some low, some high, they'll hang a little piece of thread that has light reflecting properties on it. And they hang that thread on that tree in a place that the wind won't blow it and tangle it in limbs. It's called a telltale. And what they do is, is they're adjusting for elevation. That's just a scientific thing that's designed in that scope. They learn how to do that by twisting a knob on the top of the scope. But they have to learn by instinct to look through that scope at those telltales and see if there's any breeze blowing from right to left or left to right. And there may not be any breeze at all blowing that first three or 400 yards. But when you get out there at 800 yards, one of those little telltales may be moving just a little bit. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot. But a little 185-grain piece of spiral and metal flying at 1,700 foot a second, that makes a lot of difference, that little piece of metal, is seven, 800, 900 yards. What would be a clean kill? At 400 yards, maybe a clean miss is 700 yards. And so they learn by instinct to watch the telltale, to see which way the breeze is blowing. There's two interesting things in this. I was looking here a while back at the Hebrew language. Do you know what the word for sin is in the Hebrew language? The word for sin is derah. You know what it means? It means to miss the It doesn't make any difference how many rounds you put in the target. They don't count until you hit the mark. We're not snipers, but we're not fools either, I hope. And I'm telling you what's happening in the church today. There's too many people taking leisurely shots in the dark hoping that they're hitting the target and they're missing the mark with God. And they've got the title of Pentecostal over their church. And their pastor's been to such and such a Bible college. And he's brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so's son. And his wife is brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so's daughter. But I'm here to tell you, he's just shooting at a target. And sometimes they're not even shooting at targets. And they're missing the mark. And they've got good men and women sitting on their pews tonight that are missing the mark left and right, left and right, every shot they fire. And yet they think they're sitting under the umbrella of something that's going to take them to heaven. Another interesting thing that I found there's one word in the New Testament Greek for spirit wind breeze breath it's the word pneuma it means the same thing spirit breeze breath that's pneuma what we feel here tonight is pneuma if you step outside and there's a breeze blowing that's pneuma it's the same Greek word it may be used a little difference in some connotations. But I want you to understand what's happening with Pentecostal people. And God help you that this doesn't happen to you. 
There's too many people in Pentecost, good, solid, Holy Ghost, truth-preaching churches that are beginning to look around and say, well, over there, they're getting by with that. Over here, those ladies are cutting their hair and wearing makeup. and Over here, their pastor don't care if they wear pants. You know what? The breeze is showing that you're blowing in the wrong direction, my friend. And you need to get your eyes off of other people. And you need to get your eyes in your Bible. And you need to get your focus off of other churches. And you need to get your focus back on Jesus where it belongs. And you need to get your affection off of a church membership. And you need to get all of your passion and affection and fire back on a relationship with God. I want you to understand tonight what we need in the church is we need more people that have a passionate drive for God that is willing. God, I'm going to worship you. God, I'm going to pray. God, I'm going to live the word of God. I'm going to save a soul if I can. You can be seated. I'm almost finished. I wonder if maybe the reason sometimes the church today is under such an unrelenting attack of distractions. Such an overwhelming overwhelming spirit of desire for entertainment and amusement and to be like everybody. I've never in my life seen a day when people want to be like everybody else. It's massive temptation to let down on our separation message. And be conformed to the world instead of transformed from the world. You know what? It may have a little bit to do with the fact that the devil senses a divine possibility. Because he watches God service after service try to draw his people out of the mud of uninvolvement. He watches God service after service try to take his prayer warriors and push them just a little bit more. He watches God church service after church service, day after day, try to draw his people into a prayer closet where their prayer means something to God and means something to them. And the devil is doing everything he can to get our attention on this silly stuff over here and this unfruitful thing over here and this... God help us, Jesus. I'm telling you the honest to goodness truth. I have fought hell ever since Monday morning over this message. And I might not have clearly stated my point to anybody else. But I'm telling you what it's done for me. It's got me realizing that the devil ain't a fool. But I'm not one either. And I'm telling you when he shows his hand... He's got nothing. But when the church shows this, my Lord, we've got everything. Can you say amen tonight? Stand with me. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. I want you to reach over and pray for somebody that's there by you right now. That God's going to open their eyes tonight. They're going to walk out of here realizing that the devil's been duping them. That the devil's been distracting them. That the devil's been lying to them. And they've been focusing on the devil when what they should have been doing is focusing on God. Oh, Jesus.
Oh, Jesus. Come on. We're never going to recognize an open door or an effectual opportunity of ministry. As long as we keep looking at our problems, as long as we keep looking at our discontents, as long as we keep looking at the situation around us that the devil's messing up, it's time for us to say, God, that's just the devil showing me that everything's going to be all right. We're fixing to have revival. Hallelujah. Some of you, every time you pray for your lost child or your backslidden kid, you get this creepy, fearful feeling that comes over you, says, my baby, I'm afraid they're never going to be saved. I want to tell you it's time for you to take that lie and throw it in a garbage can somewhere and say, that's just the devil telling me that my child is coming home. My Lord. The Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul, bless his heart, little guy, history says he wasn't a very big guy, had bad eyes, Paul had bad eyes, at least that's what Eusebius says, got off the boat or off the donkey or somewhere at Ephesus. You remember Ephesus was a city where they worshipped Diana. You remember Diana was the image that came from Jupiter that fell out of the sky. Silversmiths were there. They made a great living making shrines to Diana, the goddess Diana. This little Jewish, formerly Jewish guy, the Bible says for the space of two years, he daily went to the school of Tyrannus, and he taught there about Jesus. Bible said in two years' time that all of Asia heard the word. While he was teaching in the school of Tyrannus, there was a man that heard the message and carried it to Colossae. Or Colossae, ever how you say it. Birthed the church there, one in Hierapolis and one in Laodicea. It's amazing. It's amazing. In fact, when they came to arrest Paul, Demetrius and the silversmiths that were with him said, this man Paul been preaching this, this, this message and almost all of Asia is converted to him. When Paul wrote to Corinth before he ever began his work there, he said, I'm going to tarry in Ephesus to Pentecost. A great door in effect shall have opened us. And many adversaries. Many. When the devil showed up on Paul's gang plank or doorstep or everywhere he showed up, Paul started saying, thank you, Jesus. I heard a Bible scholar say many years ago that in its heyday, the church at Ephesus was 58,000 church members. 58,000. That's a 5, 8, comma, 0, 0, 0. 58,000. It all started when a man made up his mind. The devil says, I can't do this. God, thank you for this revival. 
Next time the devil comes after you, instead of running and hiding your head under the covers, won't you turn around and look him in the eye and say, buddy, you messed up now. I didn't think you had nothing to play as a hand, but you just showed me your cards, and you're all bluff. You better stop praying. You better shut your shutters so that they don't hear you. You better stop asking God for revival and repentance and restoration. Because if you don't stop now, you're going to end up in trouble. Oh, man. I'm going to stop, but I wish I had some time to talk to you about some of the political things that are standing on the horizon. Church of the living God in America is fixing to have its hands full. You do understand, of course, that if the Supreme Court, whenever it gets to the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court rules, and there's a good possibility if the court changes any at all, just one vote, that gay couples have a right to marry. You do understand that if our churches haven't protected themselves in their incorporation, and I don't even know that this will work, they've got just as much a right to walk in this church have a ceremony performed here as anybody else in this community does and if we try to stop them we are violating their civil rights brother Robertson what are we going to do well we're going to trust God it's just the devil he's just showing his hand God's always got a way for his people He's always got a way for his folks. If you want to do right, God's always, even if there's a den of lions, God's always got a way to keep us. He's going to take care of his folks. Daniel, if you don't stop praying, you're going to face the lions then. That's it? Just lions? Well, you pray an extra hour. David, you can't handle Goliath. You're just a boy. I'll mess my hair do up here if I'm not careful. I kill a lion and a bear with a rock knife. I guess if I can handle them, I can handle him. He's just a giant, that's it. We just need to believe that if God be for us, who can be against us? Tell you what I'd like for us to do tonight. I know everybody in this church struggles with the devil, and from time to time he talks to you and lies to you and deceives you and distracts you and everything else. Why don't we do this tonight? Why don't we come to the front and lift our hands to the Lord and just begin to pray, God, I want you to open my eyes, and I want you to touch my understanding so that when the devil comes around next time, I'm not going to be duped by his tricks, and I'm not going to be sidetracked or, 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 or knocked off out there and left field somewhere by his lies, but I'm going to see exactly what he's doing, and I'm going to understand it for exactly what it is.